Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 498. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine C. Yay! Lorraine, <laughs> this is the anti-penultimate episode before our episode oh boy. 500. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm not 100% sure why you are British today, but if you keep being British, you will invoke... British kitty in the city of Mew Yes. Hello, oh, British it's kitty. Me. I'm a kitty. Have a little bit of catnip and then a little kipper of milk. Have you seen the movie Cats? <laughs> it's yes. your favorite movie. Cats Very is... realistic. <laughs> oh, God. I wish Cats was realistic. Well, oh, this, this is the way we're starting, so we can only see how the episode's going to go today. Yeah. Uh, look, we're not here to tell you just about Cats, though... There's a good chance we will return to talking about Cats the movie at some point this episode. No, we're here to tell you all about things that we're excited about this week in Marvel. For movies, comics, TV, games, and more, there's plenty to talk about. Lorraine, kick it off. What do we got? We got a poster palooza. Marvel Studios Black Widow has released some brand new posters featuring Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harper, Rachel Weisz, and O.T. Feg Benley, as well as one of Taskmaster. Plus, we got new posters for Marvel Studios Loki. You should check them out on the website, marvel.com, to get a good look at that. But I'm so excited. June 9th, we get to watch Marvel Studios Loki only on Disney+. And we get to experience Marvel Studios Black Widow on July 9th in theaters and on Disney Premier Access. Yeah. Boom. Oh, my gosh. So soon. Everything is happening. It's very exciting. I'll, like, talk to people or see people, and they'll be like, when's the next Marvel movie coming out? And I'll be like, well, hold on to your butts. The rest of 2021 is just like rat-a-tat, here we go, awesome stuff happening throughout the rest of the year. It's very exciting. You get a show, and you get a thing, and you Ooh. get a thing. Ooh. I love the posters, though. These are these are great posters. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool also to see Taskmaster because Taskmaster yes. just friggin' dope. Oh, you know, we were talking about Loki and the poster for Loki. I just got in a box of Marvel Legends from Hasbro, including the Loki Marvel Legend that they just released. Part of the line, you've got like the uh, the ones from all the Disney Plus shows. So I've got Falcon and the Winter Soldier and I've got Scarlet Witch and Vision and they're really, really cool. I'm going to start putting them together because you've got like, Build-A-Figures and, and all the stuff. I got the Shang-Chi line. I'm very excited. Nice. And it just doesn't stop because this week Hasbro announced a couple of new Marvel Legends figures. There's a Hasbro Marvel Legends series Infinity Saga figures. They've got two sets here. One is Odin and he's awesome. Odin, he's got yeah. his like his staff and he's got an alternate head, big old helmet, alternate hands. But the one that really like got me hyped is the two pack of Iron Man Mark 85 and Thanos and it's like chock a block full of extra pieces and alternate hands it's got gauntlets aplenty it's really really neat yeah i love that tony is wearing his like sort of battle torn Mm -hmm. version of that costume it looks so sick from that big final battle yeah boom love these Oh, hey, wee 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 we've got a big old twim announcement. We're breaking news here on This Week in Marvel. Heck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very exciting. We are announcing Kang the Conqueror number one in a series of five, and we're adding to the creative team Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with Carlos Magno and a beautiful cover by Mike Del Mundo. And listen, Kang 
is king. I love a bad guy who travels through time, interrupting his timeline and everybody else's, <laughs> looping in on himself, creating time chaos, mm -hmm. and um, becoming multiple versions of himself that, you know, ultimately <laughs> become the Council of Kang, in which the Kangs Kang together. <laughs> When you start talking about it like that, it does get a little bit confusing, which I think is part of what the series is really exciting for. For me, is this is going to be very much like sort of giving everyone a sense of this is who Kang is. This is his story. This is sort of the definitive origin story for Kang. And we've had great stories throughout mm -hmm. the years with Kang. There was a really wonderful Kang story. I think it was the all new, all different Avengers by Mark Wade and Mike Del Mundo, which actually had the Ship of Theseus conversation between two visions mm -hmm. back in the yes. day during that mm -hmm. storyline. There's that Kang story, there's Avengers Forever, but this one I'm very excited for because this is the first time we're gonna get a Marvel comic story by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. They've done a whole bunch of work. Uh, they did a book with Marcus Toe called Joyride, which is real neat, and some, some stuff for mm -hmm. DC. And art by Carlos Magno is bananas. Carlos has done, he did the Invader series with Chip Zdarsky, mm -hmm. and he's most recently been working on Avengers uh, Mech Strike, which I, I don't yeah, know how he, which is he does sick. it. It's so sick. He's so good. He works really quickly and is incredibly detailed. And just knowing what he can pack into a story like this is going to be great. I am obsessed with that image from Mech Strike. I was mm. just thinking about it the other day because it's such a hard image for artists to draw. But basically, there's this huge, you know, they're like in Tony Stark's warehouse, essentially, mm -hmm. with all the Avengers. And they're all looking at their mech suits, which means he drew like eight mech suits, eight individual characters inside of a huge arena. It's just like a really, really epic thing to draw for just like one image <laughs> yeah and, and that whole <laughs> series really is, incredible is packed with stuff like that he's truly incredible mm -hmm. i'm very glad he's on this i think this is going to be a big one uh there's one we're mm -hmm. excited for to talk about as like something that we get to announce but also i think we're going to see kang as a much bigger threat in the marvel universe here um mm -hmm. and this is sort of getting him in front of people in a brand new way and if you don't know kang I think this is going to be perfect. Oh, man. Yeah, this is like the intro point for like, okay, I want to know who Kang is. I want to know about his timey-wimey stuff. I want to get hip to him. What's his deal? Um, and if you are a longtime Marvel Comics fan, I think this is going to be great too because it's going to be chock full of like what makes Kang so great in Marvel Comics. Yeah, I'm really honestly just excited for folks who are not as familiar with Kang to start mm. reading Kang's stories because I think – his story has a ton of depth and just interesting angles to it in general. And I'm excited for that to be put into a book uh, that is easier to follow because normally he spotlights in other books. He does. Yeah. Most recently in the Dr. Doom book. And he was a delight in there. And of course, Kang the Conqueror number one is coming out in August. Uh, we're in the midst of the August comic book announcements. You'll hear some here on the show as well as see some more on Marvel.com. Lorraine, mm -hmm. very important question. The classic yes. look for Kang. Big, yes. beautiful, thigh-high boots. In Marvel <laughs> Comics, who do you think rocks the best thigh-high look? That I feel like that should be a question oh, of the week boy. at some point. But I mean, Ms. Marvel would be the classic because... Mm -hmm. But that seems too obvious. I mean, I think Kang is like the dark horse answer that we all deserve. I'm going to tell you who I think gets it for me. Colossus. Because he... Ooh! 
big thigh high boots and his shiny quads and his hammies are just like gleaming uh right there he shows a little skin between the boots and his his little briefs he knows how to strut I appreciate a man who feels confident in a thigh high boot. Mm-hmm. It takes a it takes a strong metal man to really pull it off. Yeah. Or a man from the future with a blouse and good fashion sense Listen, of green and purple. He wears a tunic top. Yep. He he gets it. He's essentially rocking like a yoga pant uh tunic I love top it. look and that speaks to me. Very cozy, very 2021. Yes, very much so. And speaking of 2021, we have another exciting thing to talk about. Marvel's Voices, Identity Number 1. Another new awesome book is coming in this series of Marvel's Voices, this time featuring many AAPI creators, including Jean Lu and Yang, Christina Strain, Greg Pak, Maureen Gu, and a lot more. There's a lot of new folks, a lot of established folks that are going to be working on this book, and it's going to include some of our favorite characters like Shang-Chi, Ms. Marvel, Jubilee, Silk, Jimmy Woo. I mean, I'm really excited about this. I've loved absolutely every single one of these Marvel Voices books. Mm -hmm. You know what's really fun is thinking about this lineup, Gene, we had on the show before. I love, yes. he was great. His Shang-Chi book, uh, especially there's a brand new one, which I think comes out next week. I read it. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's really good. It's really, really good. Um, I think and it's it's more like setting uh, Shang-Chi in the Marvel universe with superheroes and stuff a little bit more than the first one. It's great. Definitely check that out. Greg Pak, we know, we love. Maureen Gu's been doing really fun stuff on Silk. But mm-hmm. Christina Strain... Makes me so happy to see her name everywhere because she was she's like old school too. Yeah, she's been uh, you know she's been doing stuff at Marvel for like 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. whatever. She was a colorist back in the day. Left comics for a bit, went and like you know got into writing. She's now writing TV shows. She's show running shows. Mm-hmm. She's like the boss. She has adopted a couple of kids, so we've commiserated about that. Like talking about our kids. I fell asleep in her house back at Wizard World LA 2007 when we were at a party. <laughs> you know, like Christina's the best. We should get Christina on uh, on yeah. the show at some point. She's so wonderful. I would love that. Yeah, this whole roster is is terrific. So Marvel's Voices Identity coming in August uh, is going to be terrific. Well, since we're talking about Augusto, let's keep it going with a shocking murder at the Hellfire Gala. <laughs> That was me clutching my pearls. Wow. It's an episode of Clue, and it's going to all lead to the trial of Magneto, which is, I think, now the official way that you have to probably say that. The trial of Magneto. There it is. Leah Williams, uh, who we know and love here on This Week in Marvel, as well as artist Lucas Warnack, who worked on Empire X-Men and some other great stuff, is going to be working on The Trial of Magneto, and that's going to also launch here in Augusto. And it's all coming out of June's Hellfire Gala, which I am so excited about. The fashion alone, baby. But of course, they wouldn't bring all that fashion and all those eyes unless they were going to bring some drama coming out of it. So I'm really excited to see all of those Hellfire Gala tie-ins and comics that are coming throughout June and what it leads to ultimately in the Trial of Magneto in August. Lucas Wernick, I'm very excited to see him do more stuff, especially um, with this book. And Leah, she's just, Leah's the best. It's going to be great. Very excited for this. Uh, and I mean, we haven't even gotten to the Hellfire Gala yet. We're like a couple weeks yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be very exciting. Another exciting thing in August is the return of John Romita Jr. back at Marvel. 
and we're getting his first interior comic with Fantastic Four number 35 written by Dan Slott. Come on. Johnny Come on. Jr. Legend. Legend. Coming back home. It feels good. JRJR, baby. Yeah. Feels good. Uh, if you need any recommendations for John Romita Jr. comics out there, hit us up. We've it's a lot of a comics. Lot. We've read a lot. <laughs> and there's some great ones out there. But um, having him back at the House of Ideas where he belongs feels really, really good. Heck yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And what a great series for him to be jumping into with Dan Slott. Heck yeah. That's baller. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know if you are in the mood for a nap, but Somnus is uh, coming to debut in June. Somnus <laughs> is a sleepy boy. Hashtag oh. sleepy boy. Steve Orlando and Luciano Vecchio are going to be working on a story for Somnus. For Marvel's Voices Pride number one, you're going to get to see this brand new hero and all of the details about him really coming in June. This is really, really cool because, you know, a lot of times in these Marvel's Voices anthologies series, it's a lot of our favorite characters that are really established. But this is bringing in a brand new hero into this comic. It's going to be a debut issue, which I'm really thrilled about. So that's going to be super awesome. And also, his design is beauteous. It's gorgeous. Uh, Luciano is working on... The Champions book right now, uh, you know, some artists just have a flair for really great fashion and and just like depicting people in really cool ways, like the way they look, the way they move, aside from big superhero cool action. And I think Somnus has got one of the really most awesome costumes of recent memory. It just looks rad as hell. There's a great variant cover, as you mentioned, but yeah, super, super cool. Yeah, and a little sneak peek of what he can do is that he can control people's dreams. And he's a mutant, so look out for him. Super awesome. Heck yeah. All right, this week we also saw the trailer for Venom Let There Be Carnage, along with a poster. People have their opinions on it. I'm super into it, y'all. I'm I'm here for it. I watched the first Venom in like a movie theater alone on a business trip, I think at like an Alamo draft house somewhere in Texas, and had a blast. So I'm really excited for it. But I wanted to make sure everybody knows there's tons of really great Venom comics and Carnage mm-hmm. comics from the last couple of years to check out. If you are starting to get excited about this, about the film, I would say read all the comics by Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman mm-hmm. that have come out. I'm not saying that they're related to this, but I think you get a really cool sense of, of who Venom is. Uh, and there's a lot of Carnage action, especially leading up to absolute Carnage within that book. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. Ryan, I feel like there was something coming up soon that that you kind of liked or something. Marvel's Modoc is just a week away. Everybody say hooray. Um, is that that is a little bit of karaoke that nobody asked for. Yeah, exactly. Um. <laughs> you don't want me to sing, but I did it anyway because <laughs> Marvel's Modoc is coming on May 21st to Hulu or if you are outside the U.S. in select regions and countries, uh, it'll be on Star with Disney Plus, and it's very exciting. I'm, you guys, I'm just, it's really, it's like a dream fulfilled. I have to say, you know, Ryan, you and I have both gotten to watch the series, and I think that that trailer, if folks want to know what the series is like, that trailer is a really wonderful, accurate representation of what the show is going to be. Mm-hmm. Like. I really laughed my butt off at that trailer, and I've just been really enjoying the preview of the show that we get because we're 
On the inside. On the inside. Uh, speaking of Modoc, Lorraine, uh, there's a great Modoc series called Modoc Head Games, and most of the issues are now available on Marvel Unlimited. And of course, everybody knows that Marvel Unlimited is the best way to read your favorite Marvel stories and epic moments with a library of over 28,000 digital comics. Sign up today and you can get one year of Marvel Unlimited for just $60 with code MUSAVE60. That's M-U-S-A-V-E-6-0. And go sign up at marvel.com slash MUSAVE. That's marvel.com slash M-U-S-A-L-E. Automatic renewal and other terms apply. So Ryan, also this week was... A great time of celebration because Miles Morales celebrated his 10th anniversary. I cannot believe it's been 10 years. Wow. That is hurting my soul a little bit just because (laughs) of my aging process, but very exciting for the continued success of Miles Morales. That's kind of wild. Right? And, and, you know, so our interview this week is with Justin A. Reynolds, the author of Miles Morales, Shockwave's brand new middle grade book that is wonderful. We're going to get into it. And in the interview, I think we realized that we are in like this is the 10th anniversary of miles and that he feels both that he's been around for 50 years but also that we've just been getting miles stories for like the last two years it's wild it, it how that feels so, do you agree oh totally well and i think you know he's just exploded so much in the zeitgeist obviously spider-man into the spider-verse he was already a real cult favorite character. I think people who read comics loved this character, but having him brought into the zeitgeist so fully has been just an incredible thing to see. And now he's just an absolute touchstone within comics. You know, you see folks walking down the street in a Miles costume at events and stuff, and it's not even a blip on people's radar. They're like, oh yeah, you're Miles Morales. Yeah. Look, we could gush about Miles Morales for hours, and we will continue to gush about Miles uh, in the future, but we're going to do it now with Justin A. Reynolds, author of Miles Morales Shockwaves. Lorraine, I'm excited because this week our guest on the show is author Justin A. Reynolds, who has his first Marvel work. Justin, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here with you all. How are you all doing? We are even better now because you're here with us. (laughs) What is your Marvel origin story? What was the thing that introduced you to the Marvel Universe when you were a wee child? So the way that I kind of got my Marvel infatuation was through flea markets. Oh, yeah. And so we used to go to this market down the street from where I grew up and uh, every Saturday. And my sister and I uh, were like three years apart, super tight, and we both just love comics. And so there's this one particular vendor there that would sell comics, but they'd have like the mystery bags. So you wouldn't even know what was in there. Right. And so like that was the way that like I was first introduced to comics as a whole, but then also it was like the way I got my, my first uh, Storm uh, comic. And then like from there, I was kind of like, this is where I need to be. These are like the best. And then I, like, honestly, I still kept buying the the mystery bags is just fun. But then also from that point forward, I just started also buying, you know, whatever other comics I can get my hands on. I loved mystery bags. The comic shop that I went to as a kid had like mystery bags of like three or five comics in a paper bag. And I remember once I, and I was like, I don't know, eight or nine, 10, something like that. I got a mystery bag with an aliens comic from uh, dark horse. So at one point in the book, one of the colonial Marines 
just chugs down a whole bunch of amphetamines and drugs and starts foaming at the mouth and is on a pile of dead bodies shooting at xenomorphs. And I'm reading it. My mom looks over. And she's like, what is that? And I was like, it's a comic book, mom. It's great. <laughs> Kids, if you have a chance, find a place that will sell you grab bags of mystery comics because you'll find some gems in there. All right, so you said Storm. What are some of your other favorite Marvel, you know, comics, some of your favorite Marvel movies or characters? Um, obviously, we're going to be talking about Miles a bit, but uh, who else? I was always a big fan of Peter Parker because I think just like even just age-wise, we were like age age adjacent, right? And so it's kind of like growing up and watching him go through high school and kind of experience the normal teenage stuff that he went through. But then on top of it, having, you know, this little ability to be a, a superhero on the side and do some amazing things and then just like be worried about his homework. That was always cool. And then honestly, like in terms of characters I first fell in love with, uh, in addition to Storm was Gambit. Like I was a huge Gambit fan and like almost to a point where it didn't make sense. Like I don't even know why I loved Gambit so much. It was the staff or like what it was. Did you watch the cartoons? I I watched that. Oh, That's man, what it is. It was, that, it was, I mean, the outfit, just the way he carried himself. I mean, the accent, like, how can you, how can you miss with Gambit? And then he had like the love affair with Rogue. It was, it was the best. I mean, it was the best. Ryan. So yeah. Ryan does not like Gambit. I can, I can see that. I can, as soon as I said it, right. Ryan was like, okay, this is over. Yeah. Uh, take care. Podcast ended. Rogue, he does not deserve Rogue. Rogue is a is a global <laughs> international multiversal treasure. And Gambit is But here's the thing. I think growing up watching Gambit and like reading him in comics, you're like, he's got so much swagger. He's he like does. a ladies' man and he's cool he and he's smooth. He and you don't realize yeah. that he's a low-key creep until you're an adult. That's actually that's actually very real. That's actually very real. I feel like like looking back at my childhood, I'm like, wow, there are a lot of creepy things that I was a fan of that are like not cool now. Uh, but like Gambit, yeah, I mean Gambit was I just thought he was so cool and I thought that like the relationship he had with Rogue was so awesome. And, and you're right. Watching the cartoon definitely influenced that quite a bit. And I just think it was interesting. Like, I've always kind of been interested with the way that superheroes chose to use their powers and kind of like their their own origin stories and like how they, it's like all these origin stories and when it comes to their powers are pretty cool coming of age stories too, right? And so just that kind of like that parallel, like I'm an adult, but now suddenly I'm still dealing with like my identity and like where I, where I belong. And I think that's a story that like, no matter how old you are, we all understand that, like trying to find our place in the world and feeling like maybe we're in the, in kind of in the margins rather than like society as a whole. So that's, I think just in general, those things have always been appealing to me. Yeah, I think, I mean, it makes so much sense. You know, I think so many superhero stories equate so well with coming of age stories because coming into your power as a person is so similar into coming into superpowers. It's just sort of like in a really grand scheme, I guess, or, you know, grander scale. But that seems like a perfect way to segue to talking about Miles Morales' Shockwaves, your new graphic novel. We've gotten the privilege of seeing some advanced copies. But for anybody who doesn't know about the novel yet, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. So super, first of all, super um, exciting, like, what a what an honor to get to do that project. It's a story that is 
kind of combining a little bit of what we talked about, kind of the coming of age and trying to figure out where you belong. When we, when we first open up, he is, uh, he kind of has like a, a, a quick battle with some people that you would think wouldn't play a large role in the actual overall story. Come to find out that when he gets home, uh, his mom is is in great distress because there's been an earthquake in Puerto Rico and it's impacted, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives, including their own family that uh, is still there in Puerto Rico. And uh, Rio is is rightly concerned and anxious about it. And so Miles, being the, the great kid and great son that he is, wants to do something. And just even this, this is kind of like the, the, the perfect opportunity to kind of show how Miles, the kid, wants to do something and what capacity he can act in like kind of in, in the world that we all operate in, in which case he's like running to his bank and trying to donate some funds versus like Spider-Man. And I, what, I, what I was really drawn to in this story is that Spider-Man can't stop an earthquake from happening, right? He can't stop that from happening. He can't really even fix that. Right. But what he can do is is come to the aid and the defense of those who who have kind of been trying to piece their lives back in the aftermath. He can try to draw the community together, which is something that Miles figures out ways to do that throughout the course of the story. And he can be there for his mom. And a good part, a big part of the story was about how you juggle the responsibilities of not just being a teenager and being a superhero but also how you juggle the responsibilities of being a son to your parents who have provided you with so much. And we know that's the cool thing about Miles is that he has awesome parents. His dad's a little bit harder on him. His mom is always there to kind of provide like the, the, the loving advice and kind of and console him, but also can be tough, right, when necessary. And so family means so much to Miles. And I think that's the cool thing about him, kind of even you know, like carrying on the tradition with like Peter Parker and how, you know, so much of the, the the limited amount of family that he had was was so meaningful to him, and he was constantly trying to juggle those responsibilities. And so that's the story: is Miles is trying to figure out how to not only be there for his mother, but to still carry on his normal kind of Spider-Man duties, if you will, and all while figuring out how to navigate school as a as a young man. So, yeah, he has his work cut out for him. I really dug the book. I read it all in one sitting yesterday. It was great. And I was thinking about Miles because on one hand, time is weird, right? Like one hand, I'm like, yeah, Miles is like his first appearance was like two years ago. He's he's brand new. But at the same time, he's been around for around 10 years. And at the same uh, and again, he also feels like he's been a part of the Marvel stories for 30 years. Like I it feels like Miles has been part of Marvel for as long as I have been reading comics, which is almost my entire life. Do you remember first hearing about or, or seeing or reading Miles as Spider-Man? I'm thinking I first came across Miles like in comic books, I want to say like six, seven, eight years. I'm like terrible with time. So I'm, I'm thinking somewhere in that in that time frame. My, if, if you talk to my sister, she'll say that I always say three years, no matter what the question is. <laughs> like three years, that sounds good to me. But I think I want to say like in that time frame. And uh, I remember just kind of being surprised because I didn't, I knew that he existed. I didn't really know much about him. I hadn't really seen uh, too many of the storylines that and in, that uh, involved him, and so it was kind of cool to see this African American Latinx character and not just be like a side auxiliary character, right? Someone who was kind of front and center and had 
an awesome origin story, had this creative life that he was living, like all these kind of cool details were exciting to see. What was that experience like the first time that they were like, hey, by the way, not only do you like Miles and he's this cool character, you like want to write <laughs> Miles? Oh, my God. Yeah. It was like, so the crazy thing is my agent and I will kind of have these like state of the union mm -hmm. uh, conversations where we'll once or twice a year kind of get together and discuss like where my career is right now and kind of some short term goals that we're pursuing and then we'll also kind of have like our dream goals, right? Like, and typically most of the goals are like, I'm just swinging for the fences. You know, I want to do this, this, and this. And a lot of them will require some other steps. And it'll, maybe it'll be a couple of years before I get to actually get to that project. And so Marvel was like on that list, of course, because I, I, love, I love Marvel. And I wasn't really thinking of it as a possibility like right now. And so when we got the call, not only did we get to do something with Marvel, but it was Miles Morales. I was just like in shock. <laughs> I mean, I was, I actually remember like dancing around my office and just being like so pumped. It was just like, is this real? This can't be real. Like this is like, what is this life? So it's been such an honor, especially because obviously we all know, you know, Spider-Verse, Into the Spider-Verse. Just the, the the cultural phenomenon that Miles has been, but also just in terms of like like I said, representation and and really kind of giving a voice to like a lot of people who felt like they had never ha had the opportunity to have superpowers and they had never had the opportunity to be a complex, dynamic character the way that Miles truly is. And now it's kind of cool because even though like you were saying like Miles has kind of been around for a while, it's like now we kind of feel like we're all kind of growing up with him. And that's a pretty cool, a pretty cool thing to be happening. The thing that I always love about Marvel in general, but especially about the Miles stories, are that there really is something for everyone. That's the way that they're designed. It's so regardless of your age or your background, like you're gonna want to be a part of these stories. The same way that Spider-Man Peter Parker was was so engaging and so dynamic. The quips, the witticisms, like all of that kind of stuff just endears these characters to you. And I think Miles is a great example of like carrying on that tradition. So yeah, I was, I was beyond excited to, to do it. It was, it was awesome. As you were working through the project, was there anything specific that you were like, man, I really dig this about writing Miles and his world and his character, you know, cause it's one thing to enjoy the stories that you, you consume, but it's, I think it's a different process to then start to create your own. Was there something about making this that you were like really like got excited about so <laughs> yeah there are like a lot of things honestly in my mind it's kind of weird because like as i'm working on it and, I, and the cool thing is like okay you get to draft this original mile story and kind of within the world that's already been created the framework that already exists kind of create an, another world that exists in the pages of this story and so i i knew from the beginning like i wanted to try to like create as many like characters as I could to like interject into the world. I'm like, what would they let me get away with? Like, can I create like some villains? Can I do the, you know, and uh, that part was, was so fun. And, and so then to kind of be on this part, the other thing that was exciting was like the collaboration and Pablo Leon who did, who did the artwork, which is phenomenal. If you love the uh, Into the Spider-Verse, you're going to love his artwork. It's like, you can tell the influences there, but then Pablo does his own thing. As we began to kind of forge a, a stronger bond, Pablo and I, I realized that like he didn't need very much direction from me. And oftentimes like he didn't need any words. Like, let me just let the art 
seeing it. So you almost kind of see, like, as the story goes on and on, it's like, I'm kind of like disappearing a little bit and just like, let Pablo do his thing. And the artwork, I mean, it's just so expansive and so vivid and so kinetic. I mean, I could talk about the things that were cool about it you know, all day. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things I always hear from prose writers who go into comics is that like so much of writing comics is brevity, <laughs> you know, brevity is king. And like, you're thinking about, you know, pacing per page and per panel and all of that stuff. What was that process like of translating from, from prose brain to graphic novel brain? Uh, I'm still processing it. Uh, <laughs> it was like, wait, how many pages do I have? <laughs> like, oh, that's it? Oh, wait, how many panels can I put per page? Okay, let me let me figure this out. It was so, first of all, I enjoyed the, the process because, um, like I said, no no real experience. I mean, when I was a kid and, you know, in my, my Gambit-loving days, me and this kid named Greg Wells uh, in elementary school used to draw our own comics. And they were kind of largely based on the stuff that we saw with Marvel was doing. And so I kind of, that was like the only experience I've had uh, <laughs> back, back in fifth and sixth grade, seventh grade. I think the thing that I kind of learned is how to really just kind of get to the point. And so what I did with the when I was kind of uh, first brought this project, I just kind of dived back into comics again in like this new this new way. I was looking at them now kind of like structurally and thinking about the way that they're kind of pieced together rather than just my fascination with the storytelling and the and the, and the pictures. And I thought like, wow, like the way that they move from frame to frame, it almost sometimes can be kind of jarring if you think, if you like really thought about it, like in terms of prose, right? Because it's like, oh, we're just skipping lots of stuff. And then you're just saying this next line. And like, you're asking the reader to just take that leap with you from panel to panel. And I think that's awesome. Um, and so just trying to like really test myself and, and think of ways, like creative ways where I could still get the point across but do so in a way that that felt like you the the reader was being carried along where they wouldn't be able to see kind of the the scaffolding that that existed behind it and so a lot of it too was just like wait wait what am i supposed to do here let me just defer to pablo pablo can you just give me some artwork here that will like you know what's weird about it too is that miles is a, such an expressive kid and I, the thing that i hadn't really thought about was like he gets to be expressive with his costume on. Like so many times you don't really know what their, what this, like the facial expression is because the mask. But one thing that they talked about from the outset when we were kind of discussing how this the story would work was that like, yeah, we know we can make Miles pretty expressive. And so if you look at some of those panels, especially the ones where like, I didn't really say much, if anything, a lot of it is just being carried by kind of Miles's demeanor. So yeah, that was kind of the, the the way we learned to deal with kind of that economy. It's a good learning experience, I'm sure, but uh, it, it's fun. It works. And I, I think, like you say, Pablo and even Jeffo, who is also involved yes. in the book, who's done a lot of work for Marvel and is really just a smart storyteller and helping laying down foundation for, so much, for yeah. artists. Really, really good. I was, I was delighted to see his name in the credits there. I want to talk a little bit about the supporting cast a little bit because you mentioned, you know, Miles' parents and stuff. I really dug that you put uh, a lot of emphasis on Rio, who's, you know, Miles' mom. I, I just recently completed the uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales video game, which also had a lot of Rio in it, which was great. And then you got Genki and you got a whole bunch of new characters. Can you tell us a little bit about like the supporting cast, who you 
like re- was it because you like just dug into Rio's character and really wanted to spotlight her and particularly there's two new supporting characters uh not the villains that I want to highlight right now but the supporting characters I think are really cool to talk about yeah I I knew from the outset that I wanted to make it like a very personal story and so that the the entry point for that was always going to be Rio I just thought that she she's such a strong human being and obviously like the work that she does is an example of her compassion and the care that she has for people and i thought like how can we really like show that in a different context and the thing that's interesting is that so many times we don't really get the chance to do like a deep dive into the origin stories of the superheroes parents or their families and so here was an opportunity to kind of create this different space that Rio and her family operated in. And so like, there's kind of a montage that we do early on that shows even just kind of their evolution there as they lived on the island uh, of Puerto Rico and like what that was like and how the house was. And and I tried to also include things that I thought Rio might've enjoyed, places that she would have visited and just showed the beauty of the island and the beauty of the people and the resiliency that they have. Obviously earthquakes are a thing that happens there quite frequently. And so, I was really thinking about how would Rio react and then what would be her main concerns. And then of course, you know, as a kid, you see your mom and kind of in despair, like you want to fix that, right? Like you see your parents kind of hurting, you want to do what you can. And it just turns out that that uh, Miles uh, has a little bit more ability than the, than the common, you know, uh, common kid there. So he gets to kind of chip in in ways that, that you and I would only dream of. So yeah, I, I definitely wanted to do that. And then, I think you said this other secondary characters like Kyle. Yeah, Kyle. I, I was like, I really dug Kyle. I thought she was she was cool. Her and her dad, like that relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I thought that was really sweet and and also yeah. felt very real. It was it was funny because I think people who read my novels will probably know that like I'm just a sucker for like a good love story. And so you know, even though this is kind of like a, aimed at more of a middle grade audience, I was like, what are ways that I could kind of create just kind of like a, a fun and dynamic relationship for Miles to have outside of even Genki. Like what else could he have and how would that work within like the, the greater narrative? Um, I didn't want it just to be like someone that ran at school. I wanted it to kind of connect to the overall story without giving anything away. And so Kyle was so fun because she's just a cool like STEM loving kid, like, you know, can do all these cool things and, and is also a great artist almost to the point where like she kind of makes Miles feel like a little inadequate at his own art, which is which was fun to do. And then her dad, I kind of wanted to mirror the relationship that Miles has with Rio. So they kind of have uh, a very similar dynamic in which they're, you know, they're very tight and close and you can feel the, the parents not only like kind of like, you know, wanting to check in and making sure that their kid has a smooth transition and, it's okay at school, but also just that it goes both ways that Kyle would be just as interested in the welfare of her dad as he would be in hers. It's so sweet. I really, I have to say, I really want to talk about these young villains. I was very tickled by it because, you know, reading comics and stuff, I think you see a lot of villains who become villains over many years of trials and tribulations. And it's just really, really fun to see kind of these young kids becoming villains and trying to like figure out the villain life just like Miles tries to figure out the hero life. Could you tell us a little bit about or tease for the for the folks because I know we don't want to spoil everything but a little bit about Trinity and Vex. 
Yeah, Trinity Invest. So like when I said earlier that like I was like, I would, I want to do something that I get to kind of like leave a little bit of a mark on the on the Marvel universe. And so like Trinity Invex are a byproduct of that. And the thing I love about Marvel is that they don't shortchange kind of the villains. And and so they get to be fully dynamic and we get to kind of see a little bit of where they come from and, and like what their motivations are. And I thought, how cool would it be for Miles to kind of be going up against people who are kind of similar in age? And yeah, they're they're just trying to figure it out on the fly. Like Miles is kind of making quips about, you know, not knowing how to fly properly sometimes or like being off with his web slinging. And then they're trying to uh, figure out almost how to be like super villains overnight and just kind of fumbling along the way. And then having this partnership, but just sometimes like getting in each other's way and creating chaos there. And so <laughs> I just thought that it would be fun to kind of interject that. And, and yeah, like most of the time you kind of feel like these stories just kind of start if you're a middle-aged person and all of a sudden you're a villain. And I was like, what if it, what if you could be like a like a kind of a, a teenager? Teenagers themselves tend to have a, <laughs> some superpowers <laughs> in real life. <laughs> On top of being able to make your own mark and, and add new stuff, I imagine it's got to be pretty fun to open up the Marvel toy box and get to play around with some stuff. Cause I was excited also to see like the deeper connections to the Marvel universe. There's character cameos. And then like even the, the company that is involved in this, I was like, damn, that's a cut that does not get enough attention in here. I won't spoil it, but it was really cool. Yeah. How much fun was that for you? It was so much fun. It's wild because I consider myself a pretty big fan of Marvel and you know, I love it. But like what I never thought about was just, you know, like when you're trying to operate in that universe, there's so much that already exists and so much rich history that you're trying to like get in there and you want to like, you just, for one, you just don't want to mess it up. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that like, that uh, somehow, um, you know, tarnishes the, the, the legacy of these awesome characters, especially Miles. But um, it was cool to learn a lot along the way and just be reminded of things that I had forgotten about. It's also cool that there, without giving any spoilers, there are like things that exist in the Marvel Universe, a lot of things that exist in the Marvel Universe that are just not real, obviously. And yet, there are like Marvel historians who are like, yo, actually, the way that this, this, this thing wouldn't have been around, or this is the only way that it could be used, or it would have actually had this effect on this type of person, but not on this. And it's like so fascinating to have like that type of detailed knowledge. And so I learned a lot more than what I even knew. It's like, oh yeah, I, yeah, of course it works this way, this way. And they're like, well, actually, uh, it was kind of like being on like Twitter or something. <laughs> but uh, no, but it was cool because they they, they 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 taught me a lot. The other cool thing was that kind of the main villain, it was like a throwback and you don't get to really see this particular person a lot. And so it was kind of fun to bring that person in and think about what they what their motivation would be right now. Like what would they be interested in doing right now? Especially this person who seemingly has everything that they could ever need. And yet, you know, the good thing about villains is that it's never enough. You know, I think it's funny the way, you know, the the well actually of it all, but that's the cool thing about being a creator. <laughs> Um, you get to be the god of that universe and what you say goes. So if you decide that the <laughs> ultimate nullifier can shoot rainbow sparkles, then nobody can stop you because you got the keys to the castle. 
Um, come for me on the internet, everyone. I will, <laughs> I will fight you on this. But that's why we have editors to take those rainbow sparkles <laughs> that's, away. It's very real. It's very real. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but you, you know, you've talked about working with Pablo Leon, who's obviously incredible. the The book looks so beautiful, in in addition to being so enjoyable to to read. Um, what was the process like when you guys first started working together? Because it is a lot of, you know, you do it together. There's there's a lot of connectedness within that. So, you know, I didn't I didn't know Pablo personally at all when we kind of found out that we were going to be working together. I obviously like dived into his work and I was so impressed by the wide range of of like ability that he shows not just like one type of story, but he's done like political stories. He's done lots of things and he has a, a very impressive portfolio. And what's cool about Pablo is that he's also just like a really humble, humble dude. And so, you know, here I am thinking like, here's this uh, Eisner nominated artist here who I'm supposed to try to give like artistic direction to. And he's just like, like, who are you again? You know, right? Can, let, let me see you draw something. Um, <laughs> and so and yet it was not like that at all. He was, he's like such a, not just a, a professional, but just like such a good, a good dude. He loves comments just as much as, as I do. So it's kind of like we got to share where we used to get our comics from and like the feeling that we had. And Pablo does so many cool things. Like there's so many Easter eggs in his art in this book. Uh, like I still find things that I didn't see. Uh, and I've seen this, I've seen every panel like a gazillion times. Is there one you can point out in particular that you really dig without spoiling too much? Well, I'll just say, I'll just say that something that's kind of cool that like nobody would ever know. One of the panels is early on when you're in Miles's home. Well, I think it's either on a table in a bookcase. Now I'm, now I'm forgetting how we finished it, but it's a set of like these kind of like jade elephants that, that are on the table. And that's actually like a throwback. Like Pablo and I had this conversation, like every grandparent that we knew, like back in the day had those elephants and we we're like, yo, we got to put those in the story. Like every time you walk to your grandparents' house, they had like slip cover, like plastic slip covers and like those elephants. <laughs> and so that was kind of a little, a little wink to, uh, to, to, to our own experiences kind of growing up when we were miles of age. Justin, thanks for, for being here. You, you mentioned you have some other books that you've written. Uh, where can fans find out more about you? What books should they check out? And uh, just uh, where can they go from here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Uh, so Opposite of Always is most of my debut. And then last year in September, Early Departures just came out. And we also got uh, next year coming up very soon, a book I'm super excited about called It's the End of the World and I'm in my bathing suit. So hopefully uh, <laughs> you guys check that out and uh, you can find me uh, and this Justin on on uh, Twitter and Justin Writes Way on Instagram. I'm 100% sure that the name of that book is actually my nightmare of choice as a child. Yeah, I, I, it gives me anxiety right now. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is anxiety in the story, so it's, it's fitting, it's fitting. Miles Morales Shockwaves by Justin A. Reynolds and Pablo Leon will be out on June 1st, and it is available for pre-order right now. Go follow up with Justin and tell him how much you love it because it is flipping awesome. Yeah, Thank and if you, you got a so kid, much. it's also great. Read it together. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read this with my daughter when she's a little bit older. It's going to be great. Oh, that's awesome. I really appreciate that. Thank you all so much for having me. Thank you, everyone, for supporting uh, Shockwaves. Pablo and I and, and the rest of the team greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you know... Let me know what you think. Big thank you to Justin A. Reynolds uh, for coming on and talking about Miles and his love for Marvel and comics and everything else. Of course, you can pick up Miles Morales, Shockwaves Now, uh, wherever you get your books.
So next week, we are going to have something very special for folks who love the X-Men animated series. We're going to have on Julia and Eric Lewald, who were the authors of The Making of the X-Men, the animated series book, and also worked incredibly importantly on that series. They have massive amounts of knowledge from writing the series and working on it behind the scenes. And we really had a blast talking with them. So we have a very special question all about the X-Men animated series this week. Yeah, we want to know who your favorite character from the X-Men, the animated series is. We're talking about the 90s series. Um, you've got a bunch of seasons to choose from. you got a bunch of great characters. Uh, so let us know your favorite character. You can tweet your answers using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel. Email them to twimpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. And of course, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show. Uh, and if you have bonus points, if you have a favorite episode, let us know that too. We, we want to hear about it. Oh, but before we get into community, as everybody knows, this week in Marvel's 500th, 500, 500 episode is going to be coming up, and we want to hear from you folks listening right now. So send us a voice recording to twimpodcast at marvel.com. That's T W I M P O D C A S T at marvel.com with your favorite twim memory or moment for a chance to have us air it on the show. Send them to us. We would love to listen to y'all. I think my favorite character growing up, at least, mm. was Jubilee because she was like yeah. the kid of the group. So like, how could you not? And also she was definitely the coolest, although Storm also extremely high up there because she was like the most boss. Yeah. If anybody says Cyclops, then they're a scroll. No. Then they're a scroll. They're completely wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Fight us. <laughs> Like, I loved Wolverine as a kid just because I loved yeah. everything Wolverine. I think Beast has grown on me in the sh from the show more mm -hmm. as I've gotten older, even though he's like not he's not in it as much, especially in the in the first season. Rogue, though, might be yeah. my favorite just because Rogue is she's the, one of the best. Ugh. Yeah, I loved Rogue. Yeah, too. Yeah, there's really there's so many great characters, so many great moments from and Gambit. Your favorite gambit? Let's move on because our uh, let's get into some answers for last week's question of the week, which was who is your favorite supporting character in Miles Morales's world? Um, all right, we've got a great email from our pal Bilal Lion in here saying hi, Lorraine and Ryan. Miles is a great character that Bendis brought us. Uh, I will also say this is me saying uh, Sarah Pakeli also should get half the credit in there at least. Miles is a great character Ben has brought us, and his ultimate run was one of the best stories Marvel published. Miles has some great allies that always got his back. My favorite are his father and mother, Jefferson and Rio Morales. Having the emotional support from his parents, in my opinion, provides Miles the assurance he needs to be the best Spider-Man he can be. I enjoy the fact that his parents understand their son has great power and are responsible enough to know they cannot prevent him from being a hero. If you are a fan of the movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, more specifically Miles and Jefferson's relationship, you should check out Saladin Ahmed's current run in the comics. He explores Miles' family a bit more, and you can see how his parents feel about him being Spider-Man. Thanks, Bilal. He says, P.S. I would like to wish Saladin, Sana, and anyone else in the Marvel staff a happy Ramadan. Thank you, Bilal. Uh, yeah, Ramadan ended this week, I believe. So happy Ramadan to everybody who celebrated. I love that email, Bilal. Thank you. Yeah. That was very thoughtful. Next up, we have one from Chimp Monk at Chip Monk, which says, definitely Natasha Ophelia. I really like having her in the game, even though it was all a little brief. 
Natasha Ophelia was amazing. She was the actress who played Haley in the game. Marvel's Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Awesome call. Heck yeah. All right. Nick Parks at xnick21 says, I've been enjoying Starling as a foil for Miles in Saladin Ahmed's run. Uh, Totally. Starling, great, great character. If anybody hasn't checked out Starling, she is the granddaughter of the Vulture. And it's a really great bit of business there because she's like, you know, doesn't understand her family history. But Vulture is kind of like a really sweet granddad in places and Starling and Miles get along really well. It's really, it's great stuff. It's another uh, character from more recent Miles comics. Yeah. Next up, we have Godzilla punishes hubris at Majingo Jiro one, which says bombshell and Starling hard to choose between the two both present different perspectives from a similar setup and work well as dramatic slash romantic foils. I love, love that. bombshell. Oh yeah. Bombshell's so great. And like the whole drama with her mama in the in her first <laughs> comics appearances so good um I, you know it's great we were talking about this last week and and giving our choices and everybody's bringing stuff that we didn't like really even explore yeah. ourselves i love it yeah um but would you call it bama mama drama i would Maureen. okay would. great thank you <laughs> Uh, Hell Yeah Teen Superheroes, Agent of Girl at H Yeah Teen Supers tweets his parents. It is so refreshing. He has a loving family and his parents are fleshed out and have their own problems. Agreed. You know, it's a real rarity because so many stories are about coming from a place of grief. People, you know, like our classic Peter Parker story where they're raised to greatness out of grief. Mm -hmm. But it is really refreshing to see some parents escape. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and get to live. Chris Stanislow at CP Stanislow says, I love the character of Genki who reminds me of Ned with Tom Holland, Spider-Man. I remember when I first saw Ned, I thought immediately of Genki. I'm also enjoying the dynamic between Miles and Kamala, a.k.a. Ms. Marvel. Yeah, Genki for life. Ms. Marvel also a great foil for Miles. Heck yeah. I love that. MK at mad x fm uh and i if anybody can hear Catherine jumping around and, and screaming and yelling upstairs she's just you know she's having a good time she's about to go on a run with her mama so it's great uh mk at mad x fm says even though he blackmailed his own nephew i'm still picking aaron davis how can you not love his black and gold iron spider suit yeah uh, in some stories he's the prowler and in some stories he's got a spider suit but i think the relationship between Miles mm-hmm. and his uncle Aaron is so good. Uh, and it's so yeah. cool to see that in the different stories and how it's taken in different directions. He's great choice. Great choice. Yeah. Uh, next up, Daily Miles Morales at Earth 1610616 says, got to stick with the OG Genki. Mm-hmm. Yep. Creative Wiz at Winley underscore O says, Bombshell and Miles have been busting heads since the Ultimate Universe. That's a day one partner right there. Yeah. At John Morris at MJohn93 says, 616 Peter Parker. He's had the world beat him down, struggling to find some solution and wins with support from his loved ones. Peter is great because he and Miles make their own identities as individual Spider-Men, inspiring all communities. I know I do love that sense of mentorship between the two where Peter's kind of trying to not have Miles make all the dumb mistakes he did in a way. Yeah. It's really nice. I particularly love how they explored that a little bit in the video game in Marvel Spider-Man Miles mm-hmm. Morales. Like there's a little bit of them together at the beginning and then just this moment at the end where 
Peter comes back from he had been gone uh, out of the country and he left the city in Miles' hands and they just like talk and they commiserate and then they go swinging together. Man, that's good. That's a good, it is a good, good friendship. All right, Heather at Super Movie Fan tweets: Got a grab bag of comics a year or two ago, and I'm now just really taking a look. Came across this, and I'm curious if Marvel did these often back in the day. And she posts some pictures of the official Marvel Index to, uh, in this particular case, the Marvel Team Up issues. Um, so Marvel indexes were super cool to me. They're weird. I'll be honest. We did publish a lot of these index books. They were basically comics telling you what happened in other comics. You know, back, and this is mostly in like the 80s and 90s. So if you mm-hmm. you couldn't get your hands on a lot of books, we weren't putting out collections of books. There was no internet to, to research things and look up things. This was a way for you to see, oh, what happened in the, you know, the other, you know, 50 issues of this series that I missed. So um, yeah, we did do these a whole bunch, Heather. They're pretty cool. You can search them out. I used to have Spider-Man and Wolverine ones. I'd never had actually seen the Marvel team-up ones, but I'm assuming that then we did a whole bunch more. That's awesome. Yeah. That's such a fun find. I don't know that I have any of those from growing up. I definitely have some of the like encyclopedia mm-hmm. ones, which are well-loved and sitting over in a box somewhere. <laughs> Um, (laughs) But those are really, really cool. All right. That wraps it up for us. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos with help from Rye Dorsey. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to British Kitty in the City and all the bad British accents that alienate our friends across the pond. Hello. Go get some fish and chips, why don't you? What? Hello. (laughs) I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Oh, British Kitty. (laughs) 